keep it down. Am I on? We good? Oh, yeah. Good. Um, yes, for those of you who have just started coming to the river in the last couple of months, let me introduce myself. <laughs> I'm Brad. I'm the lead pastor of the church, and I'm happy to be here. And for those of you who've been a part of the river and who have forgotten who I am, <laughs> let me reintroduce myself. I'm Brad Wong. I used to work here. <laughs> anyway, I, I want to say how happy I am uh, to return. Uh, I had uh, such an amazing time away. I'm grateful uh, for the gift time away is. Um, I'm especially grateful to our staff and key lay leaders who, uh, who carry things forward uh, in my absence. I want us to give a round of, a round of applause for those folks. Um, <clears throat> and uh, I want to say I'm, I'm happy and I'm happy to be uh, with you. This morning we'll depart from the series uh, that we've just begun in some Old Testament things just to give a chance for me to ease back in and share a little bit about my sabbatical journey in hopes that there will be aspects of it that will also be an encouragement to you. You know, back in Romans 1, somewhere around verse 11 and 12, the Apostle Paul said that it was his desire to bring some spiritual gift to his community, something that would help people make progress in their journey towards God. That really is my prayer as well today. Well, I had many fun things that I did on sabbatical. There was also work to do on my sabbatical. Um, but the, the centerpiece of the enjoyable part was uh, a pilgrimage that I took that's known as the Camino de Santiago. And my journey consisted of a 160-mile walk from Portugal uh, into Spain carrying your stuff, you know, things that good suburban people love to do. Carry the stuff that you're going to use. My journey was uh, uh, fantastic and wondrous thing. It took me uh, alongside the coast of Portugal. So there was one entire day that was walking with uh, two dear friends enjoying this beautiful coastline. Uh, and there was a lunch that we had there that was like this rotisserie chicken place that was just an outstanding place. And then we went inland, and the territory took us uh, alongside uh, long uh, stripes of vineyard uh, in Portugal. They have a nice wine industry for people who care about such things. Uh, flowing water, quiet, uh, beautiful vineyards. Uh, the territory shifted from vineyards um, to like ancient bridges, Roman, Roman architecture uh, all throughout Portugal and Spain, of course, it was part of the Roman Empire. Um, so there'd just be like these bridges and homes that had been around for, you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. And you know, the Camino de Santiago has been walked for like a thousand years of pilgrims. And so walking a pathway uh, walked by just millions of people. Uh, we went through a walled city uh, in northern Portugal called Valença um, that was built in the 13th century. Can you imagine that? I mean, it's like living in San Jose for so long, you know, you come across a building that's 90 years old and you think, ooh, it's like a place with history, <laughs> you know? <laughs> it's like to be somewhere that was built in the 13th century and just to kind of be around the whole place. And that whole journey, carrying all your stuff on your back, you know, 
you're living in all different kinds of places. So we slept in like YMCA-type hostels. They called them albergues there with 20 or 40 or 80 people in the room, you know, hot and stuffy and uncomfortable. We stayed in country estates, you know, family estates where they made wine on the estate and made fresh yogurt in the morning and, you know, kind of like Jesus' disciples sent out, just receiving each day as its own grace. Whatever God has provided for us to sustain our energy today, we thank God for that and for the various people that God placed in our lives who helped us not get lost, you know, who helped take care of us and show us hospitality. And that long journey eventuates uh, in Santiago in Spain where there's this enormous uh, St. James Cathedral where the relics of St. James the Apostle, you know, one of Jesus' three closest earthly friends, the relics or the bones of St. James are believed to rest uh, in this great cathedral. So on the 11 days of my walking, uh, my main scriptural reflection was in Psalm 84. And I would love for us to read the first five verses of it. Uh, if you're familiar with it and it's not a distraction to you, I'd love for you to join me in the reading of it aloud. If it's unfamiliar, you could just listen to it so that you can contain the imagery. But verse 1 begins, How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts! My soul longs, indeed it faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who live in your house, ever singing your praise. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. And there it is, the pilgrimage word, the call to pilgrimage. I'd like to comment on the psalm a little bit. It gives voice to the deepest of human longings. This psalm, this ancient prayer in the Old Testament, gives voice to the human longing for a place of unparalleled beauty. The human soul longs to be in beautiful places. This psalm expresses a longing to be in a place of sustained joy. How frustrating our lives seem sometimes. The human heart was made to live in the presence of joy. And this psalm invites us to find satisfaction in our longing for beauty and in our longing for joy in the presence of the God who made us. It casts a great vision in the midst of an inhospitable and even violent world for a vision for a God who is hospitable, whose tender care invites us to come and find rest in his presence. I love that part that says, even a sparrow finds a home, a swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young at your altar. O Lord of hosts, your Lord of hosts, that's like the name of God Almighty, the God of great armies. 
You would think like the God of great armies might have no space for small, insignificant, and weak things like swallows and sparrows. But the psalmist says, no, 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 the God who created all things, who is our mighty protector, has his eye upon all who feel significant and on the outside. If you live in a place that has like uh, electric wires and birds, you know that birds can be messy things, right? Don't park underneath where the birds hang out. So while this is like a neat piece of poetry, it's like, ah, it's like birds making nests on the altar of God. Do, do we really want that? What a, what a messy altar that would be. But we are all makers of messes. And some of us feel like a mess here today. And particularly if you feel like a mess or you're carrying in your heart responsibility for someone else whose life is a mess, you can come here today knowing that the God who has invited you here has created a place for you. And then the psalm says, blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage then. He pronounces blessing on people who so long for the presence of God that they pull up the tent stakes of our certainty and our security to venture into unknown places to be in the presence of God. To embark upon that kind of journey is to be on our way to the great blessing that only God could provide for us. You know, pilgrimage is one of the oldest and most well-established of spiritual practices. In our church, sometimes when we talk about spiritual practices, practices that connect us to the presence and voice of God, we talk about other things. We talk about things like reading the Bible or prayer or worship, all good things. I heartily recommend them. We talk about things like Sabbath. But in the Protestant tradition, we don't typically talk about pilgrimage, the journey to holy places. It's the theological conviction that God exists everywhere. We just got done singing that. Kevin and Lindsay led us in the song. God's love is everywhere and God's presence is everywhere. And so does pilgrimage really have that much meaning? And I want to suggest to you that God is indeed everywhere. And there are good reasons for making pilgrimage. And learning the lessons of pilgrimage, even if it's not possible for you to go on an actual pilgrimage in this season of your life. Way back in the 4th or 5th century, a man named St. Augustine said, Late have I loved you, beauty so ancient and so new. You were within me, but I was outside of myself. Now he's poetic here, so I'll slow it down for those of us who aren't poets. Augustine is saying, my heart towards God is slow. Late have I loved you. My heart is sluggish towards God. The fire of love in my heart is burning dimly, he says. Even though he knows God to be beauty ancient and new. And then he's speaking in retrospect about his journey, saying that you, God, were within me. 
you never abandoned me. God, you never left me. You are closer than the air that I breathe. But I was outside of myself. Or in Silicon Valley, we might say, so distracted, living life in a thousand different places. You ever have that experience? You're talking to someone, a dear friend, someone that you love, and your mind is elsewhere. That's the dynamic Augustine is talking about. We go on pilgrimage, not because God lives somewhere else, but because we get so spread out that we are not even at home with ourselves. So I want to talk about some of the things that I was thinking about, some of the things I think God was teaching me on my pilgrimage. Maybe it would inspire some of you to actually go on pilgrimage. I think that would be an awesome thing if this was a pilgrimage church. If you have little children in this season of your life, you probably can't do that and still be a responsible adult human being. Nevertheless, there might be things that you could learn about pilgrimage that you could take away with you. So let me say a prayer first of all, and then just kind of try to name uh, a few things that I was thinking about and hopefully not drone on too long on and on too long. So let's pray. God, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for the gift of beauty and joy. We recognize these thirsts as our deep thirst to live in beauty, to live in sustained joy. And we acknowledge the fact that some of us feel far from those realities today and ask that you would give us some gift, some encouragement, some power that helps us to make progress in our connection with you. So meet us today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So a number of things I was thinking about. One, I think pilgrimage teaches us about the power of intention, the power of intention. That's like the way marker on the Camino. It's saying, go in this direction, and you just have to decide I hope someone didn't turn the sign around. I'm going to go in that direction. The power of intention. Blessed are those who set their hearts on pilgrimage. To set your heart on pilgrimage, again, is to pull up the tent stakes of stability, to pull up the tent stakes of a life that feels relatively stable, even if you're not having that good a time and it, stability feels nice for some of us, to leave behind the certainties of our routine in search of the God who has created us. A pilgrimage is a time of dedicated attention. I went with two friends. We we're all in some sort of life transition. One guy in a career transition, one person uh, in the same job, but moved homes to a different state, so his whole life feels different, his children out of the house. Uh, I had um, my 60th birthday on the first day of this long journey, and I just thought, oh, I know. You're surprised that I can still stand up, aren't you? I know. I can still stand. A pilgrimage is a time in certain seasons of our life to set aside distractions, TV, chores, books, even work. A pilgrimage, though, is not a vacation per se, even though it shares uh, the experience of being able to lay aside our work. The pilgrimage is a time in which we say, in this season of my life, whatever is going on, what I want to do is gain a sense of connection with God, to deepen a sense of connection with God, maybe even 
to hear the guidance of God, the voice of God. Now, I know it may sound like a privileged thing to lay aside work for one week or two weeks, or some people go away for four or five weeks. And it does take some doing. It takes some resources to do. But I also want to say, in the history of all kinds of human religions, pilgrimage has been the priority and passion of all kinds of people. People living hand-to-mouth existence. People who would leave behind their farm or their businesses, not making money for that season of time. People risking their livelihoods and their lives, going out into the world where it's like a far more dangerous place than it is today. It's a very safe thing to go on the Camino today. But throughout human history, people have gone on pilgrimage in acknowledgement that the goods that we are fed in this life are so often wanting for us. And however we might feel like we are doing, there is this longing for an experience of the presence of God that is deeper and stronger. And pilgrim is a sign of trust that God hears that prayer and God changes the trajectory of our lives. So I just want to say before I leave this point, that if you are somehow stuck in your spiritual journey, if it feels like you've plateaued somehow, if it feels like you're walking around in circles, covering the same ground, dealing with the same issues over and over and over again in life, if like St. Augustine, it feels like the fires or your devotion are burning low. Maybe they're not out, but maybe it's not hot enough to cook anything. Or maybe if you've never even been on a spiritual journey and you wander, I talked to a gentleman in the first service who was like, I've never been to church before. You know, never thought about Christianity before, but my son encouraged me, so here I am. If you don't even know what a spiritual journey is, or if you feel stuck or lost somehow, I want to say here that the lesson of pilgrimage is that while God is invisible, and while he rarely speaks in an audible voice, there is power to make progress in the spiritual journey by externalizing our intentions. There is power, there is progress to be made simply by saying aloud, to the God who is out there and to loved and trusted ones. I don't want to be in this space any longer. I'm longing for something more. I'm nervous about pulling up the tent stakes of my certainty, but I want to go on a journey. If you say that aloud, God will hear that prayer, and something like a seed will be planted within you and will begin to expand and grow. So say it aloud. You have nothing to lose. The power of intention. Pilgrimage also teaches about the soul's thirst for stillness. The soul's thirst for stillness. You know, in those pictures, it's like a lot of walking and a lot of silence. I have to say I was kind of intimidated by that idea. Because when I was training for my Camino, I was like listening to podcasts, you know, listening to e-books or audio books, <laughs> that kind of stuff, or talking with my friends. And I, I'm a social soul, so I like talking to my friends, you know. But when you go on a pilgrimage, it's sort of like, you can listen to a podcast at the end of the day if you want, but it's kind of a time to be still. I'm an extroverted soul, but my friends both said, hey, after we catch up, could we have some whole days of 
walking alone, not even in eyesight of one another. Let's just leave the albergue, you know, the hostel at different times to walk by ourselves, experience the reality. There's something about the journey of life in which I need to be still and slow down. It's a beautiful thing, even if it's an intimidating thing. There's a man named St. Isaac the Syrian, way back in the 7th century. He said that the love of God proceeds from our conversing with him. And this conversation of prayer comes about through stillness. You ever been on a date night, you know, or a like, reunion with friends, and it's like we're you're not really having a real conversation because your mind is in too many different places. You're thinking about work or you're thinking about the kids or you're thinking about the person who wronged you on the freeway or whatever. We can't have a conversation that moves us towards intimacy until the heart comes to a place of stillness. And stillness arrives with the stripping away of the self. Now, I know we're sort of a self-esteem culture, so St. Isaac isn't talking about the tearing away of our self-esteem. He's talking about the domination of the ego. You know, our need to get our own way. Our need to control our circumstances. Our need to control other people, even people that we love sometimes. And nowhere is that more true than in Silicon Valley, that we want things our own way. You cannot have a life that is a human life, that is a humanizing life. You cannot have a life that eventuates in relationships of intimacy when the ego is centered and anchored at the center of our world. And that requires stillness. Stillness, the stripping away of our demands, our control, our need for validation. Stillness takes more time than we typically give it in Silicon Valley. When I'm hanging out in Silicon Valley, I do my stillness practice, and it's like, you know, I've been taught that 20 minutes of silence is a healthy spiritual thing. As hard as I try, I think, like, how about 12? That has a 2 in it as well, you know. 10, 5, 3, you know. It's like to be still for three minutes sometimes is like, ah, I got stuff to do. I got to be on the move, you know, and it's like we need more time than that to have the voice of our ego silenced. I told you I turned 60 at the very beginning of this Camino, and so, you know, one of my uh, questions before God is like, do you have any, like, guidance for me in my 60s, some vision, some prophecy, some purpose for my life? It's like, just give it to me. I came back, and one of my friends here said, did God, you know, answer all of your life questions? You know, tongue-in-cheek question, because this was a wise enough person to know that's like, yeah, that's not really the way it works. So I went away on this pilgrimage, and for the first five days, I mean, there were beautiful scenes and fun connections and funny things going on, and also something that felt toxic rising up in my heart, you know? All the things that bug me, all the irritants, all of the regrets, all of the things that I wish I had done differently, all of my worries, all of my agitation, that's all coming to the surface. It's all in me. It's all in us. The soul needs stillness to come to terms 
with the soap opera that dominates our consciousness. And the good news is that if we give our souls sufficient space, God will see to it that our souls flourish. In Silicon Valley, sometimes we make the spiritual journey like a mysterious task. And if you study enough things or if you do everything right, you know, we're technicians. We like to make things work. And when things don't work and we don't hear the voice of God and we don't have a spiritual experience, we feel like, I suck. You know, I, I must be doing this thing wrong. And what the Camino teaches us, what pilgrimage teaches us, is that quite often we just need more space than we are giving our hearts, minds, and souls. Now, the Camino is a special experience. So we would have like four or five, six hours in silence, more than I could possibly stand, you know. That's a special experience. You may have a hard time getting that. You may never get that in the course of your normal life. But the point is that we need more than we give. The soul needs space. And given adequate space, your soul, like a flower, will revive, watered by the love of God, shined on by the sunlight. Your soul will revive if you limit your inputs to TV, social media, email, and work. Your soul will expand like a flower that's been watered. This is good news. You don't have to try hard. You just need to rest. A third lesson I talked about, thought about was... Um, our need to embrace our suffering. That may seem kind of harsh. I was rethinking the language of that. Maybe we could say that in our suffering, that we need to take time to turn our face to God, to turn our face to God in the midst of the painful things of our lives. You know, the Camino as a pilgrimage is a, a, a beautiful space, stunningly beautiful things, but there are so many signs of pain as well. On a pilgrimage, there's the signs of pain in our, your own body. You have blisters and aching backs and places to sleep that were not comfortable places to sleep. There are also these altars that get built along the way. You're walking along in silence, and all of a sudden you come to a, an altar with a cross, and people have spontaneously laid rocks and shells and pictures of loved ones and ribbons. And one gains the sense that along the way in the journey, when a person gives their souls enough space, we think about the people that we love who are struggling in life, who we do not have enough resources to help. And wherever we are in the spiritual journey, we cry out somewhere, God, help us. I came across this altar to suffering women in the world. And that was just such a moving place to be, to gather up rocks and think about all of the women in the world of the church who have felt disregarded and dishonored and said my prayer for what is it that our church can do more in this space. Much to our chagrin, seeking God does not promise us a comfortable life or an easy life. Psalm 84, 6 says that they, people on pilgrimage, go through the valley of Baca, that would be translated the Valley of Tears. I wonder if you can remember the last time that you were traveling through the Valley of Tears. Maybe you or maybe someone that you know is suffering. 
Maybe there is pain in your body from a child who can't find their own way. We go through the valley of weeping, even as followers of Jesus. And it says here that pilgrims going through the valley of weeping make it a place of spring. The early rain also covers it with pools. The poetry here is complex, but it's basically saying that in the valley of our weariness, the rain of God's presence is nevertheless there. And if we open our eyes, if we turn to God in the midst of our suffering, even in unthinkable pain, as some of us are in unthinkable pain, if we open our eyes, God will lead us to water. God has provided for us. The promise of God isn't to rescue us out of all of our suffering. That experience is common to all of humanity. But the promises of God is that he will provide for us in the midst of our suffering. And that we will go from strength to strength. He will give us enough strength to get to the next watering hole until we see the face of God in Zion. When people get to the end of the Camino de Santiago, to that great cathedral, there's people from all over the world who didn't know one another before, and they're cheering and they're hugging one another and tears. You know, there's incredible joy. And my observation is that the greatest joy at the end of that pilgrimage isn't by people who set a speed record or who tasted the finest wine. Even though some people walk fast and even though some of us tasted fine wine, the greatest joy and the deepest sense of connection is by people who suffered together, who helped one another get up the hill, who carried one another's stuff through the hardest part of the journey. Some of you know that my father died just a couple of months ago now. There was a lot of grief to process on my journey. And I come today with an awareness that there are many of you here whose suffering and grief far exceeds mine. There are hard things going on in our lives. And it is possible on the spiritual journey to turn inwards and to turn our hearts away from God and only to ask the question, God, why have you allowed this to happen? And that is a question that's a human question. It's a question we all ask. You could not stop yourself from asking that question. I would just say that in the midst of that cry, if we would also ask the question, Lord, show me where you are in this. Where is there water to drink? God will provide that water. God is faithful. He is tender. He is good. And if you are suffering and you open your eyes to that water, you will become a person who makes the valley of tears a place of springs for other people as well. You will be a sign of hope to the world around you. I want to say a word about the joy of companionship. One of the renewing gifts of Camino is time with friends. So I walked with two good friends, one for seven days, one for 11 days. Uh, some of you know Ned Posen, you know, I've known Ned for so many years in this one journey. I would spent more waking hours talking with Ned than I have in the last 10 years, you know? And I would never forget that experience. 
the joy of companionship. So I would just reflect on that and say that, you know, one of the great blessings of life in Silicon Valley is that people come here from all over the world and are some of the most interesting people with the most interesting passions and capacities and dreams. And we have a chance to connect, and we so rarely do. You know, life in Silicon Valley, the rhythm which the world sets for us, puts us on a pattern in which we spend hardly any time with one another. And it can feel like we are helpless to do anything about it. And I just want to say that can never be true. Do not be a person with that little agency in the world. Most of us are only here in Silicon Valley for some number of years. Do not let your time pass in this place without deepening your circle of spiritual companions. God has placed in your life beautiful, wonderful, fabulous people with spiritual gifts that you need to drink of and to benefit from. You will only get them if you carve out time to spend together. And the circle of companions that God has for us is larger than we think. One of the fascinating things about the Camino is that people come from all over the world and all sorts of spiritual journeys, all in one way seeking the more that only God has for us. And to be in that conversation with people of different perspectives is a heart-enlivening experience. I walked around uh, with this woman from Poland um, and came, we had a meal together, a bunch of us at a table, and then, you know, three days later, I saw this Polish backpack, you know, Polish name on it, and I thought, it's Monica again. So we talked, and she asked the question that people ask on the Camino. She said, what, what is coming up for you, you know, in this journey? And I said, well, you know, many things, but I said, you know, my father died, uh, you know, a number of weeks ago, and I'm thinking about his life and his legacy and breathing and thinking about what I want to carry forward. And she said the kindest, most gracious words to me, the non-Christian pilgrim ministering to the pastor. It was a beautiful experience. And then in this really short conversation, she completely opened her heart. And she said, you know, the day I left for Portugal from Poland with my backpack on my back, I went to a memorial service. God, the Holy Spirit, orchestrating the journeys of our lives. She said, I went to the memorial service of this elderly woman in my neighborhood because I didn't want her to die all alone. And she said, I left there going to the airport for this Camino, wondering, am I all alone in the world? Will I die all alone? I have no family. Will anyone come to my memorial service? And we had this most meaningful conversation about where we exist in the universe and about the God who offers the love that we so long for. Open your heart to the companions that God has placed in your way. And then the final thing that I was musing on was like the need for us to risk intimacy, to risk intimacy with one another, and to risk intimacy with God. You know, the Camino eventuates in Santiago, and one of the traditional things that people do is come and confess their sins having journeyed all that way, having processed all of life to confess one's sin, weighed down in one of the chapels. This is a picture that I took in a quiet moment. But all throughout the day, 
in like eight or ten languages, people are coming to sit face to face with a priest and to unburden themselves of all that's in their heart. And it's such a wild thing because there's like tourists all around, people with GoPro cameras and all this kind of stuff, and then people sitting in these chairs in Italian and in Spanish and in Portuguese pouring out their hearts in tears and longing to meet the living God. I didn't go to confession because I'm not Catholic, and I felt like I don't know if I'm actually welcome in that space. But one of the other invitations is to find the St. James statue in the cathedral And one of the traditional invitations is to lay your head upon his shoulder and tell him why you came all this way. What a tender invitation. And my opportunity to say, oh, I've come all this way because my heart feels so heavy. My heart feels as heavy as a stone. And in that interaction, just the relieving of burdens by the God who embraces everyone who comes. I want to leave you with some time to just interact with God over something that you heard. No way for you to remember all these things, but if there's one thing here that sort of felt like, maybe that's like relevant to me, let me review them. Wisdom for renewal in the experience of pilgrimage comes from the power of intention, from the soul's thirst for stillness, from our embrace of suffering, our willingness to turn our face to God in our suffering, from honoring the joy of companionship and risking intimacy, laying your head on the shoulder of Jesus and receiving from him the love that he longs to give to you. So hopefully you received a piece of paper when you came in. If not, I think the ushers will come in and offer it. I would just invite you to take one of those prompts and just begin to riff on a prayer, and then Kevin and Lindsay will come up and lead us in response. Let me pray for us as we do. God, thank you that you are the God of love, that you are not fundamentally the God of rules, that you are not fundamentally the God of orthodox beliefs, even though our beliefs are important to us. At the center of all those things, you are the God of infinite love. And I pray for each friend who's come in this space today for a deeper sense of embrace with you. Help us to know how to journey towards you. Lead us as we do. In the name of Jesus, amen.